Hi, this is John. We have a question for you. Should you be examining yourself? Should you be self-examining every day? Should you even be listening to this podcast? That's a great question. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about self-examination, and we're going to look at several passages in the Bible that tell us that we should examine ourselves. Does it really? We're going to look at them in context, and then in the members podcast, we are going to review an article that came out by a prominent evangelical that asks the question, how often should we be examining ourselves as Christians? We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and I am John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Gentlemen, it's good to do this with you this morning, even though this is our second run Thanks to technology. That's right. Round two. That's I've been good. doing this. This is my sixth year, why, believe it or not, doing a podcast. I mean, why record once when you can record twice? Yes. Man? That's what I always say. I, we would we would have this happen probably a couple of times a year for a number. One, one year, we were one t- time we were recording and the long guy came on the wrong day. The wrong day and you, all you hear is the blower outside the window. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> we're about to finish up a podcast. It was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So... Yeah, Anyways. you know, to to people out there in uh, listener land, it's not as easy as just pressing record and having a good day, right? I mean, there well, is just not yeah. So and not much. only that, if you want it to sound good and you want it to like get delivered everywhere it needs to get delivered, there's a lot that goes on, and yeah, so it's just yeah. you know, you know, it it's just it's a sounds it's always, simple. It's a good reminder to us that we just need to examine our equipment before mm. we work. Jimmy. <laughs> Man, that was a good one. I like that, that one. That was a good transition. <laughs> well, yeah. it was, this is a it record too. Sub two minutes. We're already transitioning to topics. I know. I that, know. You're welcome. Impressive. Everybody out there, you're welcome. You don't have to. The listen. last episode, we talked about me hunting and making bows out of yeah. PVC pipes. And, and, yeah, John is John is and yeah, John is straight <laughs> hillbilly. If you follow John on Instagram, yeah. I mean, you're gonna see that John is straight hillbilly. Yeah. But anyway, John. All that, yeah. all that to say, he uses. I'd rather I'd rather be hillbilly than a prepper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh Spittoon can John is what we call him in the straits. Right. Oh, anyway, right. anyway. So, guys, today, um, if you have been listening to Theocast for a long time, you, you're going to know that one of the things that we often reference is this idea of self-examination or turning the believer inward. And whenever we talk about that, we talk about that in a negative way. That one of the things of the evangelical church is to constantly point the believer inward to examine themselves, to see whether or not they are in the faith. And this doesn't come from nowhere, right? There are some scriptures that we will reference later in this podcast that do talk about examining yourself, and we hope to frame those in context. Uh, But the reason why we began talking about this, and when I say we, I mean John and Justin and myself, is that recently there was an article posted an interview posted of a prominent evangelical leader that 
in essence, is trying to answer the question, how often should I question my salvation or how often should I examine Examine, myself, right? And so we thought it would be helpful to add our own thoughts into this conversation of, well, how do we answer that? How often should we question our salvation and, and, and how often should we examine ourselves? So that's where we are going today. I want to throw it to the guys here and see how they would answer that or why it is that we want to answer that question. So w- what would you guys say? Man, this is, this is such an important conversation because so many people are crippled by this. I would say all three of us as pastors have had to deal with this. And then even with listeners who write in, uh, people really do struggle with the constant examination. And, and I will say the one word that comes to all three of our minds is it's exhausting. This is an exhausting conversation because there is no end to the conversation. There's no end to the examination. And can you just imagine living in a glass house where you're constantly at the threat of being thrown out because of a mishap, a mishap, and and that's what it feels like. And this comes from pietism. And we did a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to go listen to it. But at at its core, this is pietism. It's the constant self-examination. And this is this is why I take the biggest issue with this type of self examination. Um, some you know some people will do it to say, "Oh, I don't know if I truly am a believer," and and so I need to I need to confirm to myself that I'm a believer. Well, you have to ask yourself, what saves you? Is it your good works or the good works of Jesus? You are saved by works. The question are, is it your good works? Well, if it's if you're looking to your good works as the confirmation of your faith, you now have reasons to boast. That's a second, you know, that's Ephesians two eight and nine. Uh, but if you are saved by the works of Christ, Paul says you don't have reasons to be boasting. So we're going to boast all the more in Christ. So this this constant introspective self examination, what you're trying to do is the way it's worded is you're trying to prove to you, everybody around you, and to God that you're legitimate. And let me just encourage you, God never worries or wonders who are his children. If you know that God is sovereign, God does not need you to prove to him anything. Uh, You need to look to God to confirm that God will do what he said he's going to do. So my biggest and and kind of overarching first examination of this, which we are going to look at probably the two biggest passages, 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter, uh, that mention these, but just from sure. the beginning, theologically speaking, you have to understand that a sovereign God never wonders who who belongs to Him. Yeah, Amen. At the risk of sounding like a smart aleck, I might answer the question: How often should we question our salvation, or how often should we examine ourselves? By saying, "Well, you should pursue good works and flee from sin, as you trust Christ as the ground of your peace before God." Always, it's probably how I would right. respond. And then begin to unpack that statement for people that your status in Christ Jesus by faith is one of justified, and your identity is that you are now in Christ. You've been united to him, and everything that is his is yours, including his righteousness and his holiness and the satisfaction that he has made for sins. And so I think in speaking that way, we are speaking like the apostles write. When they write to their audiences, they always begin with Christ and his finished work. They always begin with the identity question, who are we now? They begin with the question of status and justification and the rest. And then they encourage their readers to live accordingly. 
We see this pattern maybe most clearly demonstrated in Ephesians. I know we reference that book all the time. Uh, but we see things like this elsewhere from other apostles. Peter, we're going to talk about Second Peter 1 here in just a minute. Uh, but you see this in John's first letter. First John is oftentimes, I think, abused and would be understand, understood excuse me, by many to be this letter that's uh, essentially a litmus test of salvation. I don't think that's what the apostle's doing at all. He's encouraging saints who have been abandoned and who have been bombarded by false teaching, and he is encouraging them that they are legit, that they're in Christ, and that is evidenced by how they're living. He is not telling them to you know, pursue righteousness and to love one another in order that they would prove that they're legit. He's saying, no, you are legit, and it's that's evidenced right. by what you're doing and how you're living together. It's just a very yeah. different posture that the apostles seem to take. And I think this hyper-introspective, turning people back in on themselves, this prove that you're legit kind of theology. It is pietistic, John. And all it serves to do is kind of feed this monster of us always questioning how God feels about us. Because we Amen. do that naturally. We always assume that God is, is happier with us when we're doing well from our perspective and that he is not as happy with us. And somehow we can't be as bold or as assured before him if we're struggling. That's right. And that's not what the apostles say. I mean, thinking about Ephesians chapter three, I mean, Paul says that we have boldness and access with confidence before God through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians three eleven and 12, hmm. not yeah. through how we're performing, right? Yeah. And so we've got to begin this conversation by saying those things, or people are going to be led into despair and despondency. Yeah. So just a, a little bit of history as to where this kind of approach to the Christian life Give it came to him, from. Jimmy. Yeah, so around the, the Protestant Reformation, you know, 16th century, moving into the 17th century, as, as Protestant teaching moved across Europe, you had Scottish Presbyterianism, you had the Church of England, um, you had German Lutheranism. Uh, often, one of the things, one of the downfalls, right, that, that you see as different different strains of Protestantism began to differentiate themselves from, from other uh, strains of Protestantism, is you would have these long diatribes, these long conversations about theological matters that would often happen in the ivory towers of universities and, and writings and so on and so forth. And that's good, and that's fun, right? It's good to read and, and, and deep dive into stuff like that. But almost kind of this, this reaction to that, this you know, swing the pendulum the other way, is you had other movements that began to rise. And so particularly Lutheran pietism within the, the German Lutheranism strain, but also Methodism within more of the English-speaking world of Protestantism. And the question uh, began to change. And, and what I mean by that is the question of what it meant to be a Christian is 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 it, it changed from, are you sound theologically, right? Do, do you believe in the right things? Do you believe in the right things about the nature and character of God and the gospel and, and, and Jesus and so on and so forth? It changed from, are you sound to, well, are you even saved? Yeah. And, and that's where pietism began to be born and birthed and, and, and grow. And as Christianity moved to the United States— this is the version of Christianity that actually moved to the United States, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've said this before, that evangelical Christianity in the United States is a pietistic movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you mix, you mix 
that version of Christianity, this hyper-individualized, hyper-focused inward uh, version of Christianity with the rugged individualism of the American spirit, and this is what you get. You get a Christianity that is focused of on, am I even saved? And I think a lot of people enjoy this kind of Christianity because what it does is it helps create categories, not of theology, but it creates categories of people that on this side over here, we have the true Christians. They not only go to church, but they take church seriously and they take obedience seriously and they take Mm. the Christian life seriously. And then you have Christians over here. They say, yeah, these people go to church, but they're nominal. They're carnal, right? They, they, they don't take the faith seriously. And for whatever reason, we love to do this. One, I think it's comparative righteousness, right? We like yep. to compare. I want to compare my rags to your rags, and it doesn't matter because sure. they're all rags anyway. But, I mean, that's just a little history of what we are talking about here. And so yeah. I, I, whenever we read passages like 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We have to understand that we have a whole, you know, below the surface of the water iceberg of, you know, preconceived notions of what that means because of how we've been raised to think about Christianity. Totally. Yeah, at the heart of every holiness movement throughout the history of the church is a suspicion that if you emphasize doctrine, uh, if if you emphasize and tell people that Jesus has done everything, that Christ is sufficient, and that there's nothing left to do in order to be reconciled to God, then you're going to produce apathetic and lawless people. And as That's we've right. said so many times, well, that would be true if, if salvation was a natural process that man achieved, but it isn't. It's a supernatural work of God from beginning to end, and the Holy Spirit taking up resonance within us and doing the sanctifying work that He does makes it certain that those who have trusted Christ will be conformed into His image. You know, And union with Christ, if union with Christ weren't a thing, then okay, maybe if you were just to emphasize what Jesus has done, you might produce lawlessness and apathy. But as it stands, that just doesn't hold. That's an age-old mm. objection that falls flat on its face, I think empirically so. That's right. A thought here, just really quickly, Jimmy, too, to pick up on something that you were saying about how the question at some point in history kind of changed from are you theologically sound to are you even saved? I think it's interesting that... When you listen to most people talk about self-examination in the church today, the question that they always are asking is something like, how am I doing? Right? Yeah. How am I behaving? They are never asking the question, who am I trusting? Right? right? And that, I think, is indicative of what's going on because one of those two questions is of first importance. Who am I trusting right. and how am I doing? Right? Yeah. And it's, it's not the one about your behavior. The primary yeah. question is, what do you believe? And even referencing First John again, notice how he, all, he makes a massive deal about their confession, about whether they believe that Christ came in the flesh, and about whether they believe that Christ had accomplished specific things for them, and whether or not they believe that they are actually sinners. You know, And he begins with that stuff, and then alongside that encourages them that they are living legitimate lives. But it's very interesting that we in our modern context will just kind of poo-poo the confession piece. It's like, oh, well, you know, you can, you can say you believe anything, whatever, but you got to really prove your mettle, you know, by, by how you're living and prove that you're legit. What you believe right, yeah. is almost kind of over here, you know, right. and the real rubber meets the road of the Christian life is how are you doing? Yeah. Right. 
And that's that's the that's at the core of the matter is what what the examination process is. And, you know, the list that's often given to people that they need to be examining. I look at that and go, that is so far from biblical. It's not even funny. That's that the Bible doesn't tell <laughs> so me to true. examine myself against that watermark. You set that watermark up. Right. And, I, you know, I, I'll, I, we did a whole podcast on this. So I'm going to say it. I know it sounds punchy, but I just I need you to hear this. Uh, your political voting and your Bible reading are not the watermark of examination of whether you're in the faith. I know. I'm sorry. It, you cannot point Duck. to Scripture and say, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard people basically, <laughs> you know, they, they say, are you reading your Bible? How can you not read your Bible at all and consider yourself to be a Christian? And yeah. I look at that it's and I go— It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. So I, when, I moved to, when I moved to Tennessee, uh, first, first from winter— From California, yeah. From the California, the first winter we had, I was looking for a beanie. I wanted to cover my ears, and I Win- asked somebody winter about it. Winter in they, Tennessee, I'm laughing. Yeah, they look. Hey, well, you know, it get, it can't get down below zero, not okay. all the time. Okay. Um, okay. Wow, man, these people. Cold is cold. I don't care how it's cold it is, crowd. right? <laughs> it's, a tough crowd, it's like it's like hot is hot. Who cares how hot it is? It's still hot. Um, yeah, it's that one. Anyways. I asked oh, for right. a comparative righteousness. <laughs> you, it is. People in Wisconsin and Minnesota are the worst. Man. <laughs> Y'all don't know what cold is. I was like, yeah. I don't, whatever. Um, when your toes are frozen, does it matter how cold it is? When I asked, it doesn't. It doesn't. when I asked for a beanie, they looked at me and they said, a toboggan. And I was like, a toboggan. No, no, you, you slide in that. That's right. That's like a, that's an Olympic sport. Yeah. It's a beanie. And they're like, no, it's a toboggan. And what what's interesting to me is that I had a context to a word that if someone were to walk up to me and say, do you want a toboggan? I was like, I don't have a truck. No, I don't want a toboggan. And in their mind, they're thinking beanie. Well, this is what's going on when we read, examine yourself. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians or in 2 Peter, we put a context on it because we have been so programmed in pietism and we immediately assume examination is prayer, Bible reading, Am I cussing? Am I a good coworker? I mean, we we immediately put a context on it where Paul has a context to what he means, which I'm going to let Justin take us there here in a second. And in Second Peter, we'll talk about that. There's a there's a context and a purpose of what's being said there. And so I think we need to clarify those. This article that we referenced, he mentions both of them, and I think what's frustrating for me is that his context, toboggan versus beanie, he he, I think he's missing it. Like he yeah. has a he has a an understanding of of the passage that is not appropriate because he's placing the history of pietism on, on the text and yeah. missing actually what Paul is trying to call the the Corinthian church to, which is not examination of performance of yeah. things that the Bible says we need we need to never perform. So JP, right. I'll let you. Jump I think I'm going to jump, think jump, right. jump in real quick. Yeah, 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 go for it. Yeah, well, well first of all, so. You're saying in Tennessee they call beanies toboggans. Is that what you're saying? Uh, so not everybody, but the when I first got here, most of okay. them, yeah, toboggans yeah. and buggies. Yeah, okay. That's a shopping cart's a buggy. Maranatha, <laughs> Lord, please return. Fix this. Okay. So uh, anyway, moving on. So here, here's the thing. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit because um, one of the accusations that I think we've received is y- you guys are taking passages that have been understood like this and you're just saying, you know, it doesn't it doesn't say that, and you're not doing a plain reading of the text, and and so on and so forth. And yeah. so, guys, I'm I'm reading it right now. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It seems pretty clear, guys. 
I mean, if you, if you just want to approach the Bible as is, I mean, <laughs> Paul is saying it right there. And so, and not only there, but I mean, you have, I believe it's Second Peter, you know, make your calling and your election sure. I mean, you have 1 Corinthians 10, 11, where, where Paul is saying before they go to the Lord's table to examine themselves. And so, I mean, come on, guys. If we're doing a plain reading of the text and if we are going to take the Bible as is, somebody's off here, right? Mm-hmm. So help, help me understand. All right. I'll take the Corinthians pieces really quickly, and you guys jump in. Yeah. This is I'll do sort of Bible— this is Bible exegesis, like hermeneutics 101, right? And Here I'm not go. trying to sound snarky in saying that. But, if, for example, if I wrote you a letter, and let's say it's 10 pages long, and you jumped onto page 9 and landed in one particular paragraph in one particular sentence and read it, you could make any number of things out of that sentence. You could conclude any number of things from that one sentence that may or may not fit well in the context of that entire letter that I've written to you. And I would contend in both of these instances, the first Corinthians 11 piece about the Lord's supper and the second Corinthians 13 piece about self-examination, the context of the entire letters are critical for our understanding. And I'll do this quickly. First Corinthians 11, we're talking about the Lord's supper there. Paul is, and he is making it quite plain that there is division The division in the church at Corinth is an issue that shows up early in the letter, and he comes back to it again in chapter 11 about how there is division amongst them. In particular, there is division that is manifesting itself at the time when the church ought to be most unified, that is, communion around the Lord's table. And it is that division within the body that Paul is addressing when he's talking about examining themselves in the plural, you know, to come to the table. And then, uh, in the Second Corinthians 13 piece, a major issue in that entire letter is the legitimacy of Paul's apostolic ministry, whether or yeah. not Paul is legit in comparison to these so-called super apostles, right, that it seems that many in Corinth are kind of chasing after. Right. And so Paul, in saying what he does about self-examination, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith, and then he, he goes on to talk about himself and whether or not he's met the test and his legitimacy and everything else, he is essentially saying to them, like, guys, you, you know, have believed the message that I've preached. People are saved through believing the message that we preach. And so if you think that my ministry is entirely illegitimate, then you need to question a number of things, including, you know, whether or not you are legitimately in Christ. And I, again, I think context is critical. And people say this, you know, that the three keys to biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. And it's like, well, just yeah, put those yeah. into practice, please. You know, yeah. when we begin <laughs> yeah. to interpret letters. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Yeah. yeah. So it's like Paul, it's like, it's as if Paul is saying, look, if you want to examine me, you need to examine yourselves. Right. That's right. Yeah. If you right. want to bring That's me on said. trial, you need to put yourself on trial. Right. He's, you know, he's I mean, not right. talking about 
moral behavior. Exactly. Yeah. He's going back to actually what Jimmy was talking about is Paul was questioning their theological stance. Yeah. So if you're yeah. going to change, and he's you're talking change about, you should examine yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And he's and he's and he's getting at the issue of weakness and power. Right. Allah, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Right. That kind of weakness and power paradigm is what he's dealing with clearly, even in chapter thirteen of Second Corinthians. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you if you do a deep dive into Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, you will realize that Paul dearly loves this church, but it's also deeply frustrated yeah. by them. Right? Sure. I mean, and, and they're like right? they are yeah. they are, could they say are more, just yeah. Right. They're they're screwy and they have like all sorts of nonsense happening in their church. And it's like when you read particularly the end of Second Corinthians, you know, thirteen one. This is the third time I'm coming to you, right? It's like Paul is saying, "Look, man, have we not been over this? I guess I'm coming back, and we're going to have like, you know, Christianity one hundred and one all over again. You know, it's and it's not this. It's not this. I I'm coming to you because your 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 morality, blah blah blah. He's coming to you saying, no, this is, guys, I have preached the true gospel to you, right? Mm. This this is the examination. So. John, take us to take us to Peter, right? He's All right, got some, so Peter he's got could be, things. one could argue that Peter is talking about morality because he makes this long mention of things that we should be adding to our faith. So let's look at this again in context instead of just looking at the section that says examine yourself. So look at verse uh, 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So what's Peter made in the first three, ver- first, yeah, three verses very plain? God's power and divine has saved you. How do you know that? His promises. That's how you know it's true right? So God's giving you everything that you need to live this life. And how do you know that to be true? Look at his promises. He's been faithful to fulfill them. That's how you confirm it. So then it keeps going. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. There's a long list here, self-control, brotherly affection. For the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole list. And then he says in verse eight, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to which we say, amen. If you're not showing brotherly affection and and kindness and mercy, you are going to be hurting the mission of the the church. And you're going to be ineffective. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling election, for if you are practicing these qualities, you will never fail, you will never fall. Here's the question, what qualities is he talking about in the context? Well, if he is talking about uh your salvation, falling away from your salvation, and he points to these actions, then what you're arguing is that Peter says you maintain and keep your salvation by actions. But how can you say that if he says in the first three verses that we everything we need is by his divine power, not only for life, but for godliness? I think the qualities he's talking about are the qualities of the faith by which the first three verses set it up, set us up with, because he says, add to this. He doesn't say base it upon. Your foundation is the gospel always the gospel. And then 
the outflow of the gospel are these good works. If these good works aren't happening, he's saying you forgot the foundation. The examination goes back to Christ. Here's here's what I think is so frustrating to me. If someone is struggling in sin, Galatians six one, right? If someone is is caught in sin, those who are spiritual go to such a one and restore them in a spirit of meekness. Well, what are how are you going to restore them? According to Peter, you're going to restore them, reminding them they've been cleansed and they're not walking in a manner that is in reflection to how they have been cleansed. Yeah. You don't call them to question their salvation. You call them back to their salvation. You're pointing back to their baptism in Christ saying, you need to act like what you are, not call it into question, unless they're denying the faith. That's right. different. Someone's like, I don't believe in the gospel. Well, that's a whole other conversation. So Second Peter 1, especially Second Peter 1, 9, sounds almost identical to the argument of Paul in Romans 6, 1 and following. That's right. Peter is effectively saying in 2 Peter 1 that whoever lacks these qualities, and he, and he is there, I think, talking about some of those virtues that he's listed, whoever yep. lacks these things has forgotten the work of Christ on his behalf. Whoever lacks these things has forgotten who he is. You know, That's so right. like you said, John, the, the foundation, the primary consideration is what has Jesus done for you and who are you in him? And recall these things, believe these things, and then flowing out of that will be these these other things that Paul, that uh, Peter is, is speaking to. So Paul in Romans 6, many will be familiar with the end of Romans 5, how Paul makes the argument so that as sin reigned in death, you know, gra- grace would also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus and our, our Lord, and how that as sin increases, grace abounds all the more, right? And so then the question is, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. And then he effectively says, remember who you are. He responds with identity you know, in Jesus and union with Christ. You've been baptized into the Lord Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life in him. You've been delivered from the dominion of sin, you know, and right. you now are obedient from the heart. Remember your identity. This yeah. is how the apostles always talk. They don't say, oh, well, you've asked that question. Are you even a Christian? No, it's like, yeah. no. You've asked this question, and let me answer you with your identity, your status, and your union with Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, guys, even Disney gets this, right? (laughs) This is in The Lion King, right? Remember when prodigal Simba, he's like, you know, going back and forth, and it's like, Mufasa comes out of the clouds. What does he say? Remember who you are, right? (laughs) Yes. And then he's like, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm I'm the son of the king. I mean, it's like, Disney gets this. Better than most evangelicals. Better than evangelicalism. But, Better than evangelicalism. That's right. Goodness. Right. And 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 JP, to reiterate what you what you said earlier, right? Where this approach, the approach that we're kind of attacking here, this approach wants to wake up in the morning or go to bed at night and kind of ask the question of like, did How I, I do? make my did my did I did I do enough things today to make my no, election sure? Right. Yeah. We are saying how much is no, enough. That's the yeah. Question. Well, that is how the much? question. the the right. the The question needs to be: Did I trust Christ today? Right. That's right. Word. Did I trust Christ today? And honestly, like, can I just be real here and just say, where we want to spiritualize so many things, I think the apostles would say, guys, just use common sense. <laughs> just a heavy dose of common sense. Like when you when you participate within the life of the church, like don't be a jerk. Right. That's right. Don't don't be mean. Don't be cutting. Don't yeah. be don't be judging people, right? Mm. Like be patient, bearing with one another in love as you wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like 
guys, right. common sense, right? right? I mean, I, I, this is how I discipline my own children. Yeah. Well, guys, common sense. It is, it is common sense. And I think the apostles too, I mean, Peter even goes on to use this language that part of what he intends to do is to stir up his readers by way of reminder. That's right. He's not yeah. yelling at reminding them. them. No, he not is, at all. He, I, he's like, I'm just trying to stir you up and remind you of these things that you might live a life that is fruitful. Yeah. You know, and and that you might be of good in the church for the sake of your brothers and sisters and all the rest. And and yeah. that's I think how we ought to approach this as pastors as well. Not with this, we say this all the time, right? One of the the things that makes pietism what it is is that it has this edginess to it all the time, this exacting and this threatening tone. There's always yeah. this kind of like John, you use the language of prove yourself all the time. I think that's right. We've already alluded to that today. But there's always this. Like you may, through your negligence and irresponsibility and, you know, your apathy or whatever, you may end up proving yourself to be a non-believer. And there's always that kind of edge to this thing. It's always this sort of suspicion that everybody's nominal and we need to smoke out the fakers. And so it affects how we communicate in the church. And even this question of like self-examination, it becomes a frightening prospect when in reality, yeah. I think the New Testament tone and tenor is one of, no, I want to remind you of these things. I want to encourage you. I want to stir you up. Here is who you are. And let me, let me be used of God to help you in this Christian life that you might be fruitful and that you might be good yeah. for your neighbor. You know? That's right. Yeah. You guys ever been in a, a group of people where you kind of like whatever it is they're talking about? Like maybe it's college football. For me, the other day it was college football. These guys were going on and on. I don't know. I don't really watch. I mean, I know football and I love football, but people out there can these pray guys, for John. These these guys right. are naming quarterback <laughs> names and running back names and Heisman people. I have I don't even know who these people are. But if you know they, these people. guys could say, John, yeah. you're a faker. Yeah. You don't like football. If you really like football, you would know this stuff. They would call yeah. me a faker, right? Yeah, you are a faker, right? And so, what do you want me to do? You basically say, well, you you want me to not John offend a you, offend you by saying I like football. Because if I really liked football, then I would know this stuff. And this is what Christianity does. We get offended because how dare you call yourself a Christian and you don't live to the level that I live. That is ridiculous. How dare you take this name on? So here's here's what's so funny to me. Christians are called to really be on a rescue mission. Our job is to take the light of Christ into a dark world so that those who are lost may find Christ. If I'm sitting next to a brother who is a, okay, let's just say not a brother. If I'm sitting next to a guy who's a poser. It's like, nope, he's not really a believer. He says he is, but he's not. So let me ask you a question. That means he's an unbeliever. That means he's most likely confused, has been led astray. I'm probably sure he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. So I had two options. I can beat him over the head and call him an idiot, or I can give him the thing that will save him, which is the gospel, and clarify the gospel. Because if he's not a believer, which means he doesn't understand the gospel nor believe it. So what we hear in things like examine yourself, they're beating people. It's it, it's like you're giving them a litmus test instead of the thing that can actually transform someone's life to to want to love, to want to obey, to want to pursue Christ. The only thing that transforms people is the gospel. It's not fear. It's not self-examination. Oh, for, let me let me go back. So look at verse um, look at verse eleven. 
Well, let me back in verse first 10, second Peter one ten. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you are practicing these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be a richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you think your obedience is your entrance into the kingdom, that's the problem. Yeah. Back up to verse three. He's saying it's God's divine power through his promises that give you the rich entrance. What our dear friends who obviously are not acting as if they should, if they're saying, I'm a Christian, and then they're they're denying truths, what they need is Christ in the gospel. They need a gentle hand to love them. As Galatians 6 1 says, go to such a one with meekness and restore them. What I'm hearing is, well, y'all better get your act together or you may not be saved, and that's a bad thing. And I right. I just don't see that tone coming from scripture to the broader evangelical world. I agree. I couldn't agree more strongly, John, with your take. We've said this before, that if you really think there are nominal people sitting in your, your church, if there are people that are Christian in name only, and they're not really Christians, then why in the world are we not heralding the gospel to these people? Why is it that we're only just bombarding them and beating them over the head with law as though that's going to save them? It's, it's very contradictory and inconsistent. If that's really what we think is going on, we ought right. to exhort them to trust Christ, you know, because that is the foundation of what it is to be a Christian. Uh, but then I, I want to pivot slightly to pick up on some stuff that, that you both have said over the course of the podcast and that we've been considering. I think that one of the things in the article that we are referencing that is good is the, the acknowledgement that we need community that we need the church and that we need to live in the context of other brothers and sisters who can, who can help us live the Christian life and, and exhort us and everything else. I think that what we need to acknowledge is that in a church where the gospel is preached and Christ is heralded and people are living life together in an intentional way, there will be all kinds of watching over each other going on where people are going to be admonishing each other. They're going to be encouraging each other. They're going to be exhorting each other. They're going to be correcting each other at points, looking at each other saying, hey, brother, you realize that's a bad idea, right, for you to do that. That's just going to be going on in terms of just the resting heart rate of the church. It's there. It's just part of the culture. But then the Scripture gives us a mechanism to deal with people that are absolutely not living their life in alignment with their profession. It's called church discipline. And it's going to be very clear. It's going to be clear, demonstrable. It's going to take place over a season of time. It's going to be hard-hearted, high-handed, unrepentant sin. And it's going to become very clear. And then we remove those people from the church. We keep them from the table that they might be restored. But I feel like what people think we need to be doing is going about all the time with this posture of doubting and, and being suspicious of everybody's profession. Yeah. You know, like waiting to drop the hammer. And can I just can I just interject so far from what the New Testament exhorts us to? Yeah, John, please. JP, real quick, and I'll hand it back over to you. This is what happened with Kanye West. Everybody's like, well, we'll see. Yeah, I was like, man, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say that to me. We'll we'll, see, John. We'll see. Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. Yeah. Well, and I do think in every good way that it can be meant. Sure. Time will tell. But it's like but what we want to do in the church is. Invite people in. You've professed faith in Christ. Let's baptize you. Let's bring you into the fellowship of the saints. Let's admit you to the table. Let's preach Christ. Let's love each yeah. other, you know, and and we trust God will keep his promises and is utterly faithful to us and is going to preserve mm-hmm. us to the end. 
Um, yeah. But it's not this like suspicious posture all the time. And if, yeah. like I said earlier, if it becomes very clear over a season of time that you are just hard-hearted and unrepentant, well, we have a mechanism for that. And yeah. we will do that. And we will wield that instrument carefully. Yeah. It's, it's treading water. Here's the thing. Most Christians are exhausted because they just tread theological water all the time instead of That's resting right. in Christ. Yeah, and sure. no wonder why people have constant doubt because they're like, I don't know if I believe enough. It's like, yeah. well, it doesn't matter how much yeah. you believe. It Can Jesus save you? That's the point. Yeah. It's it not has quali- nothing to do with your it's quality, quality of, faith. of faith. It's object right. of faith. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I mean, just to kind of go with what you said, and this is the last thing I'll say before I drop a bomb on you guys, <laughs> is we often want to treat Jesus like he's the varsity football coach on day one of tryouts. Mm. You know, like he's Make standing before everybody like, yeah, we'll see who lasts. We'll see who lasts by the end of the week. You know what I'm or saying? Or in particular, the first day of full contact. Yeah, we'll exactly. see who's got what it takes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's oh, yeah, just baby. not that where, where Jesus says in Matthew 11, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, right? Actually, no word. When, after, after the day of full contact, I'm exactly the guy you want to talk to, right? Mm. And so the, the title of the article, How Often Should I Question My Salvation? I, I do think we should answer that pointedly in the members podcast. Right? Okay. We've not not that we've skirted around it, but let's give a clear answer. But let's do it for the members. Yes. Yeah. And that article we'll put it in the notes if you want to read it. Yeah. And join sure. us on the members. Speaking of, so we are going to move over to our members podcast. This is uh kind of the well, I would call an intimate conversation with those who join in and really kind of want to help herald this message across the world. So we have uh we have a little bit more pointed conversations uh, with those who are our partners. And if you want to learn more about that and how to help Theocast and encourage and get more from us, we have so much on our website. You can go to theocast.org and look at our membership there, the way of partner with us. And uh, just so you know, that's kind of how we keep producing all that we're doing. Thank you guys for listening. We pray this was encouraging to you. We as our our main goal, our main desire at Theocast, all three of us, is that we may remove the clutter that's put on the gospel and help you find rest in Christ. We pray that you've already started that journey and that you trust that Jesus is sufficient to save you, sanctify you, and glorify you. We'll see you next week.